you have your Bible with you, or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. This morning we will be looking at Psalm 2. If you're a guest with us, we are staying in the book of Psalms for the summer and enjoying these songs, thinking about what they teach us about who our God is and what it's like to live uh, under his rule. And this morning we will look at one of the most important psalms in the entire book as we read Psalm 2 and read the song of the king. With all that in mind, let's read Psalm 2. This is the word of the Lord. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Sometimes it may look like you're going to lose, but it doesn't mean you will. When the people of Israel were trapped alongside the Red Sea and the Egyptians were bearing down on them, it didn't look great. When my Atlanta Falcons were up 28-3 on the New England Patriots and people were leaving my house saying, congratulations, your team has won the Super Bowl, it didn't look great for Tom Brady. But just because it looks like you're going to lose doesn't mean you will. And right now, if we look at the world, the changes that are happening, the way decisions are being made, the way trends are heading, for those who want to follow the will of God and the word of God, friends, it looks like we're going to lose. Psalm 2 shows us the entire course of history and how God looks at the scoreboard, how God looks at all of history. I told you last week that Psalm 2 is part of a two-part introduction to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms. Psalm 1 is a personal invitation to belong to God. Are you a part of the blessed or are you a part of the wicked? Psalm 2 tells us what it's like 
when you choose to belong to God. And the psalm tells us this, friend. Those who belong to the king always stand on the right side of history. Doesn't matter what they tell you now. It doesn't matter what the score looks like. The game is not over. It's not over until it's over. And if you belong to the king, you belong on the right side. We'll see this throughout the song. There are four parts to this song. The first part is the rage of the nations. The rage of the nations in verses 1 to 3. Look at those verses with me one more time. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The song starts out with a swarm of activity. It's like these protests we see in the streets. You feel the agitation of the nations in this song with every verb that comes up. It's not a flippant response from the nations. It is an intentional rebellion. Notice the word plot. It's actually in the Hebrew the same word from Psalm 1 when we're told blessed is the one who meditates on the law of the Lord. The nations, though, they're not meditating, they're not plotting according to the law, according to the word of God. They are plotting, they are meditating on how to break it. And the kings and the nations that typically rage war against one another and fight against one another, they unite with a common purpose against a common enemy. They set themselves against the Lord. They take counsel together. I want to ask two questions looking at these verses. Who are the nations raging against? Do you see that? They rage against the Lord and his anointed. This isn't just a war against God in general. The anointed one is an Old Testament phrase for the Messiah. The nations rage against God and his Christ, and his king. Friends, there are plenty who will say things like, one nation under God, in God we trust, God bless America, but have no connection to the anointed. No concern for the Christ. It is just God. And they refuse to recognize Jesus, the anointed one. Brothers and sisters, the New Testament is clear. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's not just what you believe about God. What do you believe about his anointed? The second question is, why are they fighting against the anointed? Verse 3, they speak up and tell us in the song. Let's just hear from them. Verse 3, they say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The words bonds and cords are chains or shackles. 
They're complaining about restraints. They're raging against the idea that God is their master or their Lord. As Donald Williams writes, they see submission to God as bondage. They see his sovereignty as restrictive. They see his will as demeaning. They want autonomy. They want freedom. They want to be their own God. Does that sound familiar? Friends, if you're going to understand God's view of history, if you want to know what he's doing, you have to have a right view of the world. You have to have a right view of the world's relationship to God. What we see happening today in the headlines and the decisions that are being made is not new. It may be new in your experience, but it is not new in the Lord. We might see new nations, new kings, new plots, but they're just singing this song. At its core, the world's natural relationship to God as king is rebellion. That's the status quo. John 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And Psalm 2 tells us right from the beginning that all of this rage, all of this rebellion, all of this hatred is pointless. Verse 1, why do they plot in vain? The old commentator, Matthew Henry, said it's like dogs barking at the moon. They can bark all night, but it's not changing the moon one bit. And the nations can rage all they want, but it's not going to change the Lord's kingship one bit. We see how foolish their rage is when we see the second part of the song in verses 4 to 6. And we see the response of the Lord. How is God going to respond to the rage? Verse 4 to 6, read it with me. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Verses 1 to 3, there's all that noise. There's the uproar, basically a protest. Nations are plotting, scheming, going crazy, trying to fight against the Lord. And then verses 4 to 6, there is no disturbance, there's no uproar, it is total peace. God doesn't even get up from his chair. He's not even bothered. Isaiah 40, verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Psalm 2 says all God does when he sees the uproar is laugh. This isn't a laugh where God finds it funny. It's not a humorous laugh. This is ridicule and scorn. It's silly. Psalm 37, verse 13. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. He knows how the game's going to end. His lack of worry doesn't mean that God's just going to let it go. Verse 5 says, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his now, this is really interesting, especially if you have New Testament glasses, 
How does God respond to the nations with fury? It's not the way we would expect. It's not the way we would generally associate God and how he sends his son. But verse 6 tells us that in his anger, God sends his king. Look at verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now notice, hundreds of years before Jesus, God speaks in the past tense. I have set my king on Zion. It's already done. The game's already over as far as God is concerned. Now compare how we see the nations and God at work in this song. When the world plots and schemes, it's vain. It's empty. When God makes his plans, it's as good as finished. We're going to look how God fulfills these promises in a few minutes, but I just want you to pause for a second and think about how this should inform the way you respond to current events. If you had this song in your heart, how it would make you respond to the rage of the nations. When the world's caught up in a frenzy, when you're told to fall in line, when you're told to get on the right side of history, or else pay the consequences, brothers and sisters, remember the king of Psalm 2. Remember who the Lord is. He is sovereign. He is in charge. He is on the throne. He is a God who is holy and just. Isaiah 44, verses 6 to 8, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first And I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So when you feel the pressure of the rage, remember that God. We turn to the third part of the song, a new voice sings. And if you listen really close, you can hear the voice of Jesus Christ singing to you. You want to know what song Jesus sings? Look at the next three verses. Verses 7 and 9. We're going to see the rights of the Son. Jesus sings in verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession." You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. It's not exactly the song we'd expect Jesus to sing. But when he does, he sings about his inheritance, what he's going to receive from his father. He has a right to the family estate. And what specifically does he inherit? Do you see it? Don't miss it. You got to have your Bible open to catch it. What does he receive? It's the nations that raged against him. 
The nations that raged against the anointed become the son's reward. The people who plotted against him become his possession. Daniel chapter 7 is what Daniel saw. He writes in verse 14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And after his resurrection, when Jesus' work was finished, he claims this promise. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Then the apostle John, when he's allowed to see the finish line, when he's allowed to see the scoreboard at the end of the game, that's what he sees. Every single nation at the throne singing to the anointed one. And Psalm 2, friends, makes it clear this is going to happen. It's certain. There's no maybe in this mission. It is going to happen. This is the way the game ends. Verse 7, the son sings, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. The, the word decree is a fixed plan. It is an official order that will be accomplished. Jesus, in this song, is holding God to his word. The son is coming to the father saying, dad, you made me a promise. Keep it. He's claiming his rights. So, when everything, everything in this life seems uncertain and you have no idea what tomorrow holds, what can bring you the ultimate stability and peace and assurance? You want that? No matter what happens tomorrow, that you can be locked in on peace. How can you find it? Where can you look? Friends, listen, don't look to yourself. Don't look to someone else. Don't look to a leader. Don't look to a nation. Don't look to anything except this. Look to God the Father's relationship with God the Son. And if God's relationship with Jesus is still intact, you're good. I mean, would God lie to Jesus? In John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. There's no way that the father could deny the rights of the son. There's no way that Jesus will not receive his inheritance. And if there's any question about whether this is certain or not, look to the resurrection. When God fulfills his promises to his son and raises him from the grave, and you know that nothing could break their relationship. Romans 1, verse 4, Paul tells us that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. When it comes to the rights of the Son, there is absolutely certainty. There's no question. Jesus will receive his reward. Jesus will receive the nations. Brothers and sisters, the only question left to ask is what side you're on. Do you belong to this king who will receive his reward? 
And just like Psalm 1, this song goes the same direction and invites us to belong to God. That's what we hear in the final part of the song. In verses 10 to 12, we see the refuge of the blessed. Read those verses with me. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We sing the great hymn of the faith, Amazing Grace, already this morning. But do you want to see Amazing Grace in action? You want to know what that looks like? Answer this question and you'll find it. In Psalm 2, you got to look at the psalm. Who receives the invitation to salvation and the blessed life? It's the kings and the rulers raging in verses 1 to 3. The ones who get invited into the blessed life are the enemies raging against the king. The same ones who set themselves against the Lord. And the song offers them amazing grace when it tells them, be wise. Pay attention here. There's still time. Submit to the king, bow before his throne right now before it's too late. The delay in seeing all of this come together is God giving the nations and the kings and us the time and the opportunity to turn to him. Every minute we still have is a moment of grace that we have to belong to the blessed. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friend, I don't know if you figured this out yet or not, but today God is giving us that same amazing grace. There's still time to find refuge and belong to Jesus. Hear the words of the Lord. Be wise. Don't pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't let someone else tell you that they know the score. Don't let someone else tell you that you need to change your convictions to belong on the right side of history. Serve the Lord and kiss the son. Two phrases, two invitations. The first one, serve the Lord. It's a call to turn and go the opposite direction. It's a call to repent. Instead of raging against the Lord, instead of resisting his bonds and cords, the kings are told to bow, to accept the chains. Friend, if you're going to worship the Lord, you have to get off the throne. If you're going to find salvation in the king, you can't be in charge anymore. You can't just live life the way you want anymore. You can't just go with the flow. 
You have to listen to the word of the king and adjust your life according to him and his word. The second phrase is kiss the son. Slightly an awkward phrase for us in our culture. Simply means to honor the king for who he is, to recognize who he is and to give him the honor that he deserves. And I've pointed it out along the way, but the New Testament makes it clear. This song, brothers and sisters, is about Jesus Christ. This song is not about David when he became king. This song is not about Solomon when he became king. This song is not about any Israelite king when he became king. This song is about Jesus Christ, the anointed one, when he became king. The peoples, the kings, came together. They plotted against the anointed one. The Jewish religious leaders sided with the Roman soldiers. And Herod and Pilate teamed up, plotted, set themselves, united themselves against the king of kings. They led the innocent one to the cross and crucified him. And in that moment, Satan thought he'd won. He thought the game was over. The king was dead. But brothers and sisters, on the third day, God sat on his throne and laughed. And he told his son to get up and to reign. All of their schemes, all of their plots in vain. That's why Acts chapter 13, verse 33, the apostles tell us, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Friend, one day Jesus will return and inherit the nations as his reward. You need to hear the amazing grace and the invitation that this psalm provides. But verse 12 tells us that apart from this Christ, apart from this king, you will perish. If you do not make Jesus your king in this life, he will be your king in judgment. That's harsh, but brothers and sisters, God loves you enough to tell you the truth now so you can be wise. In his mercy, he calls you. Apart from him, you will perish, but in Christ, you will live. Verse 12 tells us, blessed are all who take refuge in him. You may say, you you don't know who I am. You don't know all the things that I've done. You don't know all the ways I've rebelled against the Lord. This psalm tells us, friend, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've raged. It doesn't matter how much you deserve judgment. Jesus Christ, the King, bore the punishment that you deserved on the cross so that all who put their trust in him could have life. He was cursed by God so that you could be blessed. Will you take refuge in him? Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, if God has brought you here today and you recognize that you do not belong to Jesus, Hear the word of the Lord and take advantage of the opportunity you have and find refuge and life today. If you belong to him, friend, 
I want you to hear what this psalm says about you. The world may tell you that you're backwards, you're old-fashioned, that you're racist, that you're bigoted, that you're this, that you're that. If Jesus Christ is your king and he is your refuge, according to the word of God, you are blessed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We can't stop what we see. The nations will rage. The peoples will plot. But we are blessed if we have refuge in Christ. We have an inheritance. First Peter tells us in chapter 1, verse 4, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And if our king is on the throne, not even bothered, not even worried, maybe even laughing, what do we need to worry about? What do we need to fear? Friends, we have a message to proclaim. We need to hear, hear that. We need to remember that. We have a message to proclaim. We ought to be singing in the streets. Be wise. There's still time. Kiss the sun. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let us pray.